You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor and filmmaker, and here I am in my lovely space by myself, um, just hanging out with you guys for this week's solo episode. Hope you guys are doing fantabulously. I hope these are crazy times. I say that so much, and I know that there's probably people, I've gotten an inkling that there's like a repetitiveness that I need to work on. Noted, and I'm working on it. Um, but it just feels like home when I get into that groove. And I just feel like it's that psychological on-ramp of like, okay, we're here, we're getting settled, and it's showtime. So this is a new setup for me because this is my first solo episode that I'm also doing video for. So I feel very exposed and very, like, I feel like I should have a cup of tea or a prop or something to walk through all of this with you guys. So anyway, I'm just giving you guys the lowdown of like what the ambiance is here. Um, just enjoying my evening in my pajamas <laughs> and wanting to hang out with you guys and share a story and some reflections on some of the stuff I wanted to talk about. Hope you guys are enjoying season four so far. It's been pretty crazy having it all come together, having some changes as one has to do all the time when you're putting anything creative together. Um, it's turning out a little different than, not a little different, it's turning out different than I first anticipated. But as always, like I'm learning how to adapt and roll with the punches. And I think that that's a relevant thing to acknowledge and pat myself on the back for, honestly, because I think it's something that is the most, I was saying, talking to a friend earlier today and saying that this might be the most useful skill in today's unpredictable, uncertain day and age is to have the skill of adaptability, of being able to pivot and being able to just switch gears and, you know, learn a new skill or learn how to kind of drop a plan if you had a plan and make a new one right on the fly and improvise. And I used to think that was kind of a negative thing about me. I've definitely you know, harped on myself a bit on this show about not having a plan or having like a rough plan, but not really thought out and admiring so many other people like Prisca and Two Honey Goats of having their show notes and having everything really just like buttoned up and precise going. But I really just kind of embraced the fact that I, I go with a half plan. <laughs> I think I have goals. I have wishes. I have um, intentions. I have things that I want it to be. And then I leave a lot of room for like God and the universe and life to get in the way, not in the way, but like play its part for something to change. So anyway, um, the reason why I, I thought of sharing this particular story today, I don't think it's a very long story, hopefully fingers crossed. Um, but it's something that was coming into my awareness, especially through COVID and everything with everyone talking more and more about anxiety, depression, loneliness, and having that be a really, a really big component of like our everyday society and culture these days. It's definitely weighed on my heart a lot because there are times that I myself feel that anxiety, that loneliness, that isolation. And then also there's all these times where, especially lately that I have been feeling a lot more content and fulfilled and um, just really grateful and at peace, which 
given the circumstances of what's happening right now and what the general vibe is, and it does fill me with a lot of concern to like palpably viscerally feel that from other people feeling really fortunate that I feel that. And then kind of reverse engineering. Why? Like, how come, what is the work that I've done and what can I kind of acknowledge within myself that what work I've done to become this version of me that I actually feel so content and, um, not certain, but just in a more grounded place and less chaotic while everything around me feels and is in certain ways really chaotic. And because the intention behind this podcast was always to share whatever I could from other folks and from myself in a story format and a reflection format to be of service and to help, I thought that's something that I could share with you guys today. So I don't know if the theme of this conversation, this conversation, this one way monologue from myself to you would be about making sense of chaos or finding peace in chaos or forgiving yourself and like giving yourself a freaking break so that you can breathe and survive. I don't know what the right um, centerpiece is, but I think it incorporates all of those three things. And I guess I would just rather just jump right into the story and arrive at the reflections because that's what I'm really excited to share with you guys. So the story that uh, I wanted to share was about a time when I was a really shitty friend and how I have very recently resolved that issue within myself and with the friend that I had the issue with. And that that resolution was kind of part of this bigger journey of mine in healing and getting grounded and letting go of a lot of baggage and again, arriving to this current place where I feel a bit more steady and able to manage a lot of things in my life. A lot of really good things, really like amazing things that are happening in my life. So the story is about my friend, Jane. Jane, I didn't give a heads up that I'm sharing this story, but I love her and she loves me and we'll be okay. Um, She's one of my best friends. I've known her since I was 12 and it was immediate Pisces cancer love connection. And it was just a water sign, you know, bonanza made in heaven. And she and I became fast friends. I I initially really took to her. I don't know if she knew that I was alive, even though we we're carpooling together. Um, but I met her through my friend, Anna, and I just thought she was hilarious, really rambunctious, like super funny, very witty, just nuts in the best way. And we became friends from our junior high school days and then also at church. So Jane became seriously just one of those people that I could always turn to. As many, first of all, listeners might know, I had a very bumpy adolescence where I went through a very, very dark time of trauma and manipulation and abuse. And it's crazy because actually Jane, we don't have to go that to today, but she was actually in her way, like a participant of that, not because she volunteered for it, but because my crazy ex at the time was trying to, he wasn't trying, he was controlling me, siphoning me off from all of my friends, including her. And on top of that, he was interested in her and used her to like, instill jealous in me, jealousy in me. It was so, it was so fucked up on so many levels. Um, but like Jane was like part of like a very 
difficult part of my life. And um, there was a point at which I was like extremely jealous of her and like had my crazy ex manipulating me by trying to, you know, instill this like hatred and jealousy towards my own friend. It was very, very twisted. But I'll say like also the reason why besides that like natural bond that we had, she showed what an amazingly loyal friend she is because through that, once she found out, once I actually shared with her what was going on, because I did keep it to myself and I didn't let a lot of people know what was going on. This girl went so balls to the walls, like just there was ripping up of items. There was cursing. And I, you know, really looked at her as like the really good Christian girl. I was like the mouth of a sailor, you know, heathen. She, she let me know to no uncertain terms that she was not inviting like my ex's advances. It was because it was predatory. He's a lot older and it was, it was all gross. We went through a very tough time in our teenagers. Um, but that kind of loyalty, you know, she's one of those friends that true blue and I could really believe and know that like, Oh, there's women out there. That, that is in and of itself is like a really important thing that not only just friends, but like fellow women, especially when you're in a toxic situation where like you're just pitted against each other and every woman is a threat to have that kind of friendship meant a lot. And we've continued to stay friends throughout the years, um, you know, through college, through us taking very different paths, um, her pursuing teaching and, you know, meaning the love of her life much earlier, all the different boyfriends we've been there for each other through. Um, I was her maid of honor and we went through a lot together. So Suffice it to say, you know, all these major milestones in our lives meant a lot. And I think I learned through her that having those moments shared with the people that have been there for you through thick and thin is something to really cherish and something to, you know, do your best to like keep. Um, so recently, not, not that recently, which is crazy. We've advanced a lot in years. She had her first son and I was there within hours of his birth. Like he was still wrinkly, like he was fresh out of the womb when I met her little one. And that was really, really special. Poor thing. Like I feel really bad. She was probably like super delirious and like couldn't even like know up from down. But I was there and I was excited to meet her son. I was like emotional. It was really beautiful moment. The blunder that happened was a few years after that when she had her second son. Now, this is when we're in our 30s and, um, you know, it's her second boy and I'm in the thick of my crazy life. Like, you know, anybody who's followed along has a, has an understanding. Like I don't stay in one place too long. Uh, I have a lot going on. I'm, I was very, very ambitious with my career hopping around all over the country, really like going to different cities all the time, always at events, um, creating new things. I was running collaboration at the time. So I was, you know, working on the conferences and then going out to film festivals and then having our showcases and constantly fundraising, doing diversity stuff, working with Warner Brothers for Crazy Rich Asians. It was a really, really exciting, beautiful time. But I'd say also in hindsight, I was really like kind of addicted to work and like staying active. And I was also in a new relationship. And that's when Kenji and I were dating. And it was just go, 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 especially because Kenji and I like were both in film. So I was producing his movie. It was just such a hustle. There's a lot going on. Um, I lost my friend Jay at the same time. Like my life was kind of chaotic at that time. Jane, my lovely, lovely friend who's been there through with me and for me through thick and thin, we've been there for each other. Um, she had her second kid and 
I was, she lives in the Bay Area and I happened to be there multiple times since she gave birth. And it was such a stark contrast because the first baby that she had, I was there again within hours. And then the second one, spoiler alert, like, well, not spoil this part of the story. I didn't meet him until he was almost 10 months old. And so that big of a gap and that huge contrast of like prioritization was really obvious. And the worst thing on top of it, you know, like when I play the facts over again in my head, um, it was the fact that I was in the Bay. It wasn't like I wasn't there or I was, you know, in New York or in Korea or somewhere like inaccessible to her. I actually was visiting my grandma who lives less than 10 minutes away from her. And my aunt was posting this on Instagram and showing like all the, I was, you know, going to meals at like Facebook campus to like network and talk to people about their diversity initiatives, seeing my collaboration friends. My hustle game was like on point, but my friendship game was trash. So my dear friend who I'm the, I'm like very much the social butterfly and Jane's really, really social person too, but she's more of a like few friends that mean everything. I have a lot of different friends that I love and I wish I could, you know, clone myself multiple times so that I could hang out with all of them. Cause I just genuinely love so many different people and I cherish them. Um, it was a little bit more diluted at the time on top of the fact that I was so like career insane and really putting that front burner and just like fixated on my life. So I'm posting all this on Instagram, like rubbing it in my friend's face. And that's like genuinely when I look back on that, knowing what I do now and being a more mature version of myself, it really made me feel so terrible. And I I was actually aware of how terrible I felt during the time. I want to call this out because I've had many different conversations with amazing friends over the years about having like that friendship or that colleague or that text message that or email that you haven't answered and you know that it's just sitting there in your inbox and you have every intention of answering it, but for some reason you don't. And then the longer that you don't answer, you're more aware that like another day, another week or month or whatever has passed. And you're like, oh shit, how do I answer this? How do I, this is so awkward and it's only getting more awkward by the minute. And it's just crazy how that becomes like a paralysis thing and you just keep putting it off right? Because the shame or like the guilt that you feel and the awkwardness that you know is certain to be encountered if you, if, and when you answer it, it's just so like weird and paralyzing. So you just put it off, put it off, put it off. I think that's a lot of people with a lot of different things in life. And that theme has been recurring, which is why I thought of this story, because that definitely applied here where I was aware I'm in the Bay area. My friend is here. She just had her kid. I need to say hi. I need to stop by, but I came up with all these reasons in my head, like, okay, I need to have at least, you know, a couple hours to carve out so that I can sit and like play with the baby, um, and spend really good time. I need to bring a gift. That means I need to go shopping beforehand do all these things. Again, just logistics, which are all essentially doable. There's nothing like I'm not, I don't have to recreate the NASA space shuttle in order to like see my friend. I just need to like hit her up, go there, bring a gift or not. It's not like she would hold that against me, but came with all these reasons and then just, it kept getting pushed back and I kept getting more aware of like, oh my gosh, I haven't reached out to her. I started feeling like trash, like really guilty. I was like, oh my God, I'm a bad friend. And it just, the days and months and weeks like piled on. Um, in which time there are all the cues that you get as a friend, um, that communication is dwindling. The responsiveness is less responsive. Um, even stuff like, you know, I know y'all know what I'm talking about. Just like 
the interactions on even like Instagram fade. Like if they used to like all your stuff or react to your stories, it just like starts vanishing. Right. And that was definitely happening. And that's like, it wasn't just me making up stories in my head. I could feel my friend like pull away from me. Um, and I knew that I was hurting her, which again, adds another layer to like, oh my God, I need to like make it up to her. So it just like grows and grows. And you're just like staring at it. I was like, I don't know what to do. So I'm not doing anything. So that was a, it was like, it was quite a predicament. And at the end of the day, the solution is so simple. It's just kind of like face it and deal with it. But I kept putting it off almost again to the point where it was like almost a year. And so my friendship with her, that this friendship that I supposedly really care about and cherish, my fear, my pride, all these things, my ego, I don't know, just kind of like this big barrier for me, just facing it, maybe having to like, you know, take a, take a uncomfortable confrontation, being called out to be like, you hurt my feelings. Um, and maybe that's another thing that was like making me scared to not, not confront it. And I just knew at a certain point that like, okay, our friendship's really on the line. Cause she's really pulling away. She's not even like answering my texts anymore. And, um, even in that point, I started in my head justifying or getting defensive, like preemptively defensive of like, dude, I have a lot that I'm doing. Like, I'm sorry. Like I didn't prioritize this, but blah, blah, blah. Like I had a lot of because things are chaotic in my world. And so feeling another judgment that I'm like, not fabricating, but then I'm like saying in my own head, not that she said it to me, but I have in my own head was like creating this friction within me and this tension. Um, but long story short, it's already gone longer than I thought. <laughs> I decided she matters. I have to face this. It is going to suck. She is upset. I already can feel it from her because I'm intuitive and I know her for decades at this point. Just suck it up and deal with it. So because she wasn't responding to me, hit up her husband. We set up a time. It was around Christmas time. I was like, when is she going to be home? I'm going to bring some gifts over. I want to stop by. And he was wonderful. Thank you, Richard. We love you so much. Um, Richard was like, yeah, I think she'd really, really like that. I think it would mean a lot to her. Even though I could feel like her being mad at me, but that anger I'm sure was just being hurt that like, what the hell's my friend? You know, why, why haven't you shown up? So went to target, got the presents, wrapped them in the backseat of my car, showed up to her uninvited, unexpected, knocked on the door. Her husband knew I was coming. He answered the door. We hug. And then she looks around her shoulder in her pajamas, like, you know, full mom mode. And she sees me there standing with like gift bags. And I just hug her and we just wet and like cried. And, um, you know, a lot in that hug alone was resolved. Of course, not completely. We had to talk, but I needed to apologize to her, apologize to her, to her face, show up, meet the baby, cutest baby on the planet. We want that on record. Both of her babies are adorable. She's beautiful. They're beautiful. Like no contest. And my heart was like full. I was navigating a lot of different feelings of like feeling so dumb of like, why did I take this long? Minji Chang, you're so dumb, but oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be here. Like just, you know, a tornado of emotions and just being really happy to reunite with my friend. And from there apologizing. And the reason I bring this up again is because there was that resolution that was a few years ago. You know, our kids are older now, but we recently took a a girlfriend trip and I'm constantly reminded in the 
all the advancement that my life has had um, and how different it is from a lot of my friends in the fact that I am unmarried, I don't have children, um, you know, I'm doing my Hollywood thing as an actor and filmmaker, like vast majority of my friends from like my youth are doing amazing things, but they're not in the same environment of chaos and they're partnered up and a lot of them have kids just how much our roads diverge and how much effort then it takes to like try to maintain friendships. And that's definitely something that's come up in first of all, um, whether it's I'm talking about therapy or we're talking about how to make friends as adults or how to heal relationships. I've heard that repeatedly through this show that it's a constant thing that people struggle with. And on top of the fact that we have all these statistics showing how depressed and how anxious people are, how lonely people are, you know, it's the epidemic and how it's like a new thing in the U.S. specifically, which I'm not surprised at, like how much depression there is in this country specifically. And I do think the thing that I can talk about and contribute is that emotional component is to share my story about how my friendship was damaged through my actions and what I had to do to unpack that, take responsibility and try to heal that because it's still an ongoing thing. Case in point, um, putting that effort to maintaining a relationship and this goes way beyond, you know, it applies to, I think, romantic relationships, but definitely far beyond that with friendships and chosen family and your actual family. These are really meaningful things and every person, every relationship is different. And figuring out a way to keep those afloat while we're also trying to keep ourselves afloat is really freaking hard. It is not an easy thing to do. And I know that we want to walk around thinking like we're besties for life. Therefore, like I can neglect you and because you're my ride or die, even if I completely disregard you and disrespect you or or don't prioritize you, I can still rely on you to be there for me no matter what. And if that was a romantic relationship or a friendship or family, even I think like that attitude and that repeated behavior and that choice to not invest, just like you're not investing in any other area of your life, the damage just gets done. And then you have to work really hard to try to get it back whilst you're also just sitting there like wondering like, what went wrong? Why is this so bad? Um, so recently, you know, there's been a lot of things happening in my life. And in light of that, I made a conscious intention at the top of this year that I wanted to continue to work as much as I humanly could to prioritize the relationships most important to me. Um, or that I felt like that investing in it could, you know, be worthwhile. Right. Um, or what, what is feel safe and like doable in my in my heart and my soul and my energy tank. Right. And my girlfriends are absolutely like, again, they've been there through the, through all the boys. They've been there for me through family stuff. Like my girls, I am beyond blessed with in general, just like the friends that I have, I'm stupid lucky. And there are certain friends that like, I know at this juncture in my life, in my thirties that At different times, I like made it easy to put them on the back burner because ironically of like, well, you know, you have to set off a bomb or something for us to destroy our friendship. So you kind of get into that relaxed, content place where you don't have to try. But I really want to spend more time with them. And however old you are, if you understand what I'm saying, you know, time speeds up and you realize like with their families, with my work schedule, with all of our stuff going on. You have to plan like weeks or months in advance to make sure that you can have quality time together. Again, that's the effort and the maintenance, right? So my girlfriends and I planned a trip and we had 
it was the three of us. The three of us have like, again, been through a lot together since church and high school and like all this craziness, good, bad, ugly, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, joyful. We laugh super hard together. Like I get so many lifetimes worth of therapy, just being around these two women. And we went on a trip to San Diego. We made it happen and they got away from their spouses and families. And I got to like step away from work basically. And just meet up and have so much fun and eat whatever we wanted and laughed until like these girls just make, it's the best ab workout on the planet is being around my two girlfriends. And in this place, in this space, while we're having like letting our hair down, being completely loud and ridiculous and hilarious and so funny. Um, we also found a space to like share and we were talking about get, we got really vulnerable and started talking about the ways that we had it actually started from a place of gratitude, like that we we're glad that we resolved X, Y, or Z. And in that we talked about the stuff that um, had hurt us about each other and how we really felt behind, in addition to all the laughter and all the smiling and all the funny jokes and all the memes and all the, you know, all the like unconditional love, there was also a lot of pain there. So I just, I'm still like in the aftermath, it's already been like two months, still just kind of sitting on that and recognizing how important it was for me to be able to speak my mind openly face-to-face with my girlfriends, how vital that was for our relationship to have a chance to like be for real and heal some stuff and feel trusting of each other again. And that's really where I think those wounds that go on like unaddressed, that's just where trust gets broken. You don't, you don't feel like you can trust a person with your care and your heart and your feelings because they've broken that trust. So how do you like reestablish that if it, if it has been broken? And sometimes you can't, right? Um, I've been in this like recognition where I don't, you know, that saying that I would say to so many friends and I would say to myself, it's like, oh, time heals all wounds. Like, I don't know if I believe that or agree with that anymore. Time does heal, but it doesn't necessarily heal all wounds and Time also can take a lot of time and it might be like truly on someone's deathbed at the end of a like 89 year life where they have this wound that they finally resolve by like forgiving themselves and letting go because they're literally taking their last breaths on earth. Or some people die with wounds that I don't know, some medium or spiritual master has to like resolve for them from the other side. I don't think time heals all wounds. I think there's a lot of wounds that just sit and get unaddressed. And people think, for better or worse, and I'm not hating on people, but there are people who think that it's going to resolve itself. I just don't agree with that. Like, wounds heal when they heal, when you heal them. And I think there's a way to um, address a lot of those wounds sooner rather than later and kind of even like my friend, like it cost me something. It cost me my discomfort and like recognizing that I had been an irresponsible friend and that I had deprioritized her and that this was a really important thing for her to have a kid and then to have one of her best friends, like ignore her for almost a year and neglect to like, prioritize stopping by when she is literally a couple miles away. I think it's completely valid 
to be hurt about that and have a wound about that. And those wounds need to be addressed. And we do our best. And I, I credit everybody of like, it's not that easy to just address all your wounds. We have lives and jobs and families and other relationships to manage. So yeah, we can't just sit there and like fester. But also if you put things on the back burner too much, and I'm saying this from my own experience of so many different things, they just pile up, they clog your energy, they sit in you, they sit in your heart and they just, they'll just be there. And those wounds will probably get infected and we're not understanding until we're knee deep into like another toxic relationship or lost another friendship and wondering what the hell, why is everything in my life so bad? Or like, how come I can't have a healthy relationship with anybody, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When at the end of the day, if you reverse engineer it, it's because there's a lot of stuff that's still unaddressed. And just because a good amount of time has passed, I don't really don't believe from myself, from all the different friends and loved ones that I have been there for and love so deeply and understand and been allowed into their space to understand their, you know, most, you know, big pains and like most private stories, it ain't going to resolve itself. You know, that's like a recognition I've really been having deeply myself. They have to be addressed. They need to be given care and attention. So the cost of that is discomfort, perhaps front-loading a whole lot of shame, like genuinely feeling like shit because you have to be like, I messed up. Or acknowledging someone you cared about messed up. That sucks too, being like this person that I want to put on a pedestal or excuse, or like, I understand like being overly compassionate being like, well, I know that there's such a wounded person, but like, so you don't want to like hold them fully responsible. I'm so guilty of that with so many people. Like it makes my head spin. And it's not cause I think I'm a good person. Like I am a good person. And I also think it's a very big trauma, trauma response to try to like alleviate everybody of the consequences of their actions. And just like, rationalizing on their behalf and being like, well, I don't want to hurt them. And like, so then what I suffer and you suffer and we all suffer so much to like, we'll sacrifice our sanity and our well being and our boundaries and our, our heart and our soul so that somebody else doesn't hurt and bear the consequences of their actions and holding them accountable. That's a different kind of discomfort. So I've just been processing a lot. Um, and yeah, I definitely had to front load a good amount of feeling like trash and being accountable for the fact that I've been a shitty friend. Um, and the only way to start being forgiven and like earning her forgiveness and, you know, just getting things right again, I think I needed to be able to genuinely, sincerely be in a place of like, I am sorry I hurt you. I get so sick from many different fronts. Like the whole, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I know someone out there, including me, have used that phrase a lot. For me personally, if someone says that to me, that's not an apology. Okay, you're sad that I feel sad. That's very nice of you. But if I'm expressing to you that something you did hurt me, you saying you're sorry you feel that way to me is not an... an, um, acknowledgement of like of like that you did anything and I have been very very guilty of saying that a lot to people and now that I'm like in hindsight feeling really like recognizing that was really problematic for me to not say I am sorry I hurt you that's taking responsibility and I don't get to decide 
how somebody else felt. Now this gets a murky area where it's like somebody like you really, the crime that was committed, these are all subjective things, right? It's like where everybody's going through their version of the truth, right? Their truth is what they're going through. They said, I traumatized them because I made a joke about the shirt that they're wearing. I genuinely, like, if I hurt, I'm like, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I, I, I'm i sorry I traumatized you. And then there's a certain limit within myself where I'm like, I traumatized somebody because I made a joke about their shirt, you know? Um, that's its own ball of wax. But just the phrasing of those things, I think there are people out there who can kind of understand, like, saying sorry that you did do something or that you hurt somebody or that you imparted pain that to me is a more appropriate or like meaningful apology. And I don't think apologies are always necessary in every case. Cause sometimes like, again, people can take things and like run with it. But I think when we're, we're trying to heal a relationship and when there is a wrong that has been committed and when there is remorse and a desire to like rectify something and like move forward in, in a fashion where you're still like, like each other. I think the way that things are apologized and the wording of that and the sincerity of that does really, really matter. And I think that's a result of the inner work of like, okay, did I do something wrong? It was intentional, but I did do that. And to learn from that and say, if I care about this person, I want to not do that again, or I want to try to understand how that happened so that I don't repeat it unconsciously or consciously. So I'll say one of the big things that I wanted to share because this, um, this particular healing modality, if you will, this healing like process and this prayer has come up like a dozen times in the last few weeks, last month or two, um, like month and a half with several friends. I thought it'd just be cool to like share it on the podcast because it seems to be, maybe it's just my circle, but y'all are my circle too. If you're listening to this podcast, um, but it's, it's in the air. There's a vibe of like the need to like release a lot of baggage. And I'm sharing it because it has genuinely changed my life. Um, maybe you can hear it and how I'm talking. Somebody said that to me today. I caught up with a friend this morning who I haven't talked to him in a long time. And, um, he used to talk, we used to talk every day because we were trying to build a business together. And he said that I sounded different. He's like, you sound really like calm and relaxed. And when I used to talk to you is over a year ago, he's like, you were like way more frantic and way more like, there's so much on your mind. And like, I could feel it from you. And he's like, you sound very different now. I'm really happy. So that's really cool. And I've heard that feedback from different people in my life too, that my energy has changed a bit, which is good. Um, and I want to share how that happened because it also led me to like the healing of my friendship and that started within myself. So the prayer that I want to share, I might've mentioned this in a previous podcast, um, but I'll repeat it more in depth here. It is a prayer from Hawaii and it is a mantra. It is a practice and it is kind of like a lifestyle and mentality um, called Ho'oponopono. And this prayer actually first came into my life three years ago when I was going through um, my breakup with Kenji and I was a mess for a lot of different reasons that there are a lot of, a series of events happening at that time where I was in a very self-destructive place and I was just in a fog and I was scrambling at whatever I could to like feel better. All my old tricks, all my old vices, um, very reactive 
coming from a very wounded place and I was like hurting myself and I wasn't doing better. I was really genuinely making things worse for myself. And I remember at the time it was like a very big spiritual awakening moment for me. Um, I was just introduced to a lot of different concepts, a lot of different paradigms, like kind of a a bigger expansion of law, law of attraction and manifestation and whatever's within you is what is outside of you. So it was this very self-reflective place. And it was a very dark time because I was getting at least the initiation of like recognizing how I was my own problem. Like it was such a big sucker punch, bitch slap to the face of like, girlfriend, you have been making this so hard on yourself. And not in a blaming way, like a truth telling way, like an accountability way. And one of those ways Um, was this prayer because I was just doing so many different meditations and listening to a lot of different um, spiritual guidances, like different guides, different people who, um, you know, Stoicism and Buddhism, Buddhism, even Christianity. I was revisiting my Christian roots just to like try to make sense and search for truth. And the Ho'oponopono prayer um, was became relevant at that point. I thought it was really beautiful. I did it a few times. It did help me, but it kind of fell away. And other paradigms were kind of of more interest to me. So I spent a lot more time understanding like how to clean up my insides. But um, it's crazy that this got reintroduced back into my life earlier this year when I was reaching another really big wall and I was feeling really burnt out. Um, I was like back on the dating apps. I was like trying to date again, going all these things to like be open to love and like I just couldn't figure out why I felt so stuck and that I, you know, despite all this work that I've been doing for three years straight, like nonstop, devoted, um, relentless, I think maybe consistent might not be the right word, but like relentless, like I'm very determined. And even if I fall off the wagon, like I freaking get back on that mofo, like I get back on it. So it's just feeling so upset that I'm like still feeling like I haven't moved that far, even though I had. Like truthfully, objectively, I've I've made leaps and bounds, my career, my relationships, my living situation, my income, like all of these things are reflecting like, Vinci, you're doing a lot better than you were a few years ago. But yeah, I was reaching kind of another um, ceiling, I think, where I just felt like I was bashing my head against a ceiling in a wall where I couldn't get to the other side. I was really unhappy. And um, this prayer got reintroduced to me and something in me kind of clicked. And this is why I really do talk about journey a lot because just because something doesn't work for you at a certain time, if that's talk therapy, if that's journaling, if that's whatever it is, you know, whatever you're trying to do prayer, like, um, working out, whatever, like if it does, it doesn't work for you at a certain moment of time, I think I have enough experience under my personal belief is like, that doesn't mean it doesn't help you ever. It just means maybe it wasn't like in alignment with you at that time. Maybe you had other things that you needed to work through, more experiences to go through, another bad relationship, some more bad dates, a fight with your parents, something to kind of like make you know something or break through something or let go of your ego in some way. So that that thing that maybe wasn't working for you at that time suddenly does. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's really, we are such egotistical creatures. And I think there's like just a pure biology version of that where we're always trying to survive and, you know, get through life. And in order to do that, yeah, an ego, a big ego gets really useful and it's a protective mechanism, but it also is like when it's an unhealed ego and like over like 
what do you call it? Like, uh, just it's running rampant with no guideposts or like no checks and balances that shit can ruin your life. You know, like having being becoming an egomaniac because you're just not in a good place with yourself and you need all sorts of bells and whistles and validation in order to like feel just okay. And as human beings, we adapt and suddenly the thing that we needed and we get it, it's not enough. And then we need the next thing and we need the next thing. And it's this constant, like endless spiral of like, nothing's ever enough. And that's why I think like an unchecked, unhealed ego does to a person. You're just seeking that peace and that rest and you just can't get it, which goes back to the spirituality component. So like, I do think it's, it's, I admire people who are seeking. I don't, I, I'm not attracted to people who think or act or believe that they have it all because I think that that's absolutely ridiculous. I, I respect and admire and are drawn to people who have a very deep knowing that like we can't know everything and we never will. And there's kind of a place of surrender and humility and reverence and gratitude for the fact that like the fact that we can know anything and experience these things and have gratitude, even in the midst of great suffering, that's very amazing to me. That's what I think is so admirable and attractive. And that's just, that's the kind of people that I want to be around. Um, not to say that other people that are not off their rock and like, you know, other realms, like, yeah, they're really entertaining and not, I'm not like completely turned off from them, but like wanting to sit down and talk with them and spend a lot of my energy. I I'd say, yeah, a vast majority of people that I, I think have kind of a, a consciousness that, um, I just think is really wonderful. So in that aspect, you know, to reach that place, I think it's, there's a series of awakenings that you can have. So having the Ho'oponopono prayer come back into my life at the time that it did, something really clicked and it was, it stuck with me. And like, first of all, I'll be the, I have had a ginormous ego issue. Like, I think my life has just been a lot, at least the first 20 years, at least it was like really big ego and really like terrible self-esteem, like trash self-worth, trash self-esteem, but really big ego. And I was like the hyperachiever, you know, the wounded kid that like my dad hurt me a lot when I was a little kid. And then my brother added to that by being extra mean to me. Then I interacted with a lot of toxic boys and like, you know, it was just snowball. That was the journey that I was on to have this like hyperinflated ego, but then get crushed too and like traumatized and like have to survive all that. And in the process of all these honestly, like really great and really horrible life experiences, learn how to let that ego go or temper that ego and how to truly love myself and build a good self-esteem and a true, solid, genuine sense of self-worth. So with this prayer, I've like talked about the prayer so many times, what it consists of are four very simple phrases. And it's, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you for very simple phrases. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. And saying this on repeat, I actually sing it. I have a song version, which I'm happy to share with you guys. If you guys want to know, I'll link it. Um, Doing that has a pretty freaking profound effect. And again, based on where you're at and how ready you are, how receptive and open you might be. Maybe it'll have less of an effect. At this moment, when it came into my life, I was, I'd say it's safe to say I was desperate for something to like help me 
find relief. That's what they say a lot about addiction and about just like self-sabotaging behaviors and things that are like not necessarily good. We're seeking relief. We're seeking relief from something. And um, the thing that we're getting is not necessarily the thing that we want. We want the feeling that we get from that, which is escaping from the problem or just relief from, right? Like alcohol, substances, sex, relationships, work, like so many different things that we we use as a crutch to like get away from the thing that's like really on our minds. That's like, we're trying to get away from. So with these four phrases, like I, I was starting to address some like really deep stuff in my life. And I had again, done all this work for not just the last three years, like for many years, I had a good sense. And it was like such a cliche at this point of like knowing what my issues are, who the problem people in my life are. So one by one, man, um, I, you know, they, if you go to YouTube and you like Google or YouTube search the Hope on a Pono Prayer, there's oh, that's my my phone telling me to go to bed. I will. Anyway, um, what YouTube will tell you is that there's like meditation versions and then there's people that are explaining it. So in the explanation, um, it's always you know describing it as like a miracle, like it, it's profound healing. It, it touts like and campaign and markets itself as like the miracle creator. Like this prayer works miracles. And I was like, I'm open to a miracle. It might be placebo effect. I don't care. If it works, it works. Minji needs a miracle. So she does the prayer. Um, I'll link those videos to you if you guys want to hear, like on a quantum physics level, it's just energy, right? That you're clearing your energy, your spirit, your heart of like just tons of this blocked up stuff, right? Like what I was saying earlier, the pain and the wounds that you've accumulated over the years that you've you know, how to stiff upper lip and you just like power your way through. And, you know, if you're doing that, I'm not, I'm not, um, minimizing that. And I'm not saying that that was like a bad tactic. That's what you had to do at the time to get through it. And I don't think there's like, I'm not in any way diminishing even what it takes to just do that, just to like have enough grit. I'm a very big, like fan of people with grit. I like people that have like been through stuff and that have overcome. Like, I love that narrative. I admire and respect that. And it's that. And at some point you got to check that wound. It's like you broke a freaking bone. You can't just keep sprinting on it. And my, again, speaking from the source, the one that like messed up her leg and her back and kept snowboarding on it for the next like seven, eight years. That's me. I was like, well, I don't need to go to the doctor. Cause I was 20 and an idiot. I have injuries. You get wounded. You need to heal the wound before you go, you know, apply pressure on it again. Or try sprinting on it again. Whatever it is, you got to crawl before you walk or rest before you crawl. Like let the bones heal. Let them, let the, let the scar tissue form like something so that you don't just like damage yourself over and over again. So all this stuff that I felt on a spiritual level, I know that I had released a lot. I've been doing a lot of different things. If you guys are curious about any of it, like I've done Reiki, um, I've done hypnotherapy, I've done cord cutting, um, ceremonies, meditations, so much meditation, so much uh, sleep hypnosis. I have done sacral chakra, like chakra cleansing rituals. I've, I, I very much, I love the moon and the stars and the sun. I have done my journaling. I've made my list that I burn. I've done the sage. I've done everything. Palo Santo, whatever you want, praying to God, reading Bible. I have, I really think I have this ginormous exhaustive list 
So when it came to doing this prayer, I had a feeling, my gut feeling was like, I think this is like what I really need to focus on. I do think that this will be something, maybe not necessarily miraculous, but it will be very effective if I commit myself to doing it. So on YouTube, there's all these like Ho'oponopono prayer challenges. They're saying like, try it for 21 days and see what happens in your life. So I did. I said, I'm going to do it for 21 days. I'm going to see what happens in my life. And um, in doing so, of course, like I just let myself kind of get into a flow state. I would put on my headphones. I'd play the song version of it. The first song that I heard, I didn't like it that much, but it music really helps me get into my feelings. And what I'll say, because you're doing energy work and spirituality, it's a very different thing to get in touch with your feelings versus thinking things in your head. I'm around a lot of really smart thinkers. I'm around some of the most brilliant people on the planet. I have met some of the smartest, most powerful thinker brainiacs on the planet that literally run a large part of our world because their brains are so smart. And I'll say from like the spiritual, emotional artist side of me, that has its usefulness and I have so much respect for it, but thinking your way through everything doesn't work when it comes to your emotions, to your spirit and to your heart. Those are two different brains that you have. You have your thinking brain, you have your feeling brain. And a lot of the things that we neglect and because it is so painful and uncomfortable, we do everything we can to not feel the bad feelings. So I had a feeling, my intuition, my gut that I've trained, and she's very powerful. She's a strong queen. Um, I just knew, I was like, I can't not address these feelings anymore, even though I have and giving myself credit. Like there's still stuff there that I need to clean out. So with doing the prayer, I was listening to music and music's very good at getting you in your feelings. We all know this. Um, and just allowing myself to do the prayer and in doing so feeling a lot of like sadness, putting yourself in a place of humility and to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Those two phrases alone, if you're saying them with true sincerity and you can work your way up to feeling those actual feelings, but actually saying them can lead you to feeling those feelings. So powerful. I mean, it's just beyond powerful. And of course, the first person I applied this prayer to was my dad. And my dad and I weren't speaking. We we had actually gone on silence treatment as we do every whatever once in a while. My dad and it's like a cycle. Um, And that's why it gets so exhausting and so frustrating and so sad and heartbreaking because you just feel like, This person that I love so much, I also can't stand and also try so hard to like heal. And you just feel like you're banging your your head into a freaking wall and nothing really progresses. And then you make progress and then it happens again. And it's just so demoralizing and hurtful. My dad, like I've said it so many times, it's such a freaking daddy issue cliche. It's like embarrassing, like genuinely. It's like, yeah, I'm the girl with daddy issues, 100%, like have been. And at that point, when I reintegrated this prayer, it was because like that was weighing on my heart too. And um, I know on a psychological level why so many of my issues that I have with like having self-worth issues and having um, conflict resolution issues like really bad and my people-pleasing tendencies and my stifling all my feelings because I was just kind of mimicking my mom, which was like she would just do everything she could to gloss everything over and yeah, she's done a lot of placating my dad over the years and, you know, to a degree, like enabling his, his, his traumatized response behaviors and his temper and like all the shit. Like I'm so aware of it 
which adds to my exhaustion of like, I don't want to care about this anymore. I don't want to, I get it. Like all this happened, generational trauma, get it, got it. Good. I understand. But like, I don't want to deal with it anymore. But because my back was like against the wall and because I'm hitting this wall again, I'm trying to date again and like make all this stuff happen. That's just not working. And I'm not able to like feel present or like, it's just not going well. There's indication that it's getting better, way better than it was before. That's a whole separate story, but it wasn't right. And I was like, I am so sick of this shit. Like I'm so fed up. I'm going to do it. Cause I'm again, even if I'm not consistent, I'm a determined queen. Okay. I get like, I get back on the horse. So I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it for 21 days and just see what happens. And right out the gate, I applied to my dad saying like, I'm sorry. And I just start crying, like sobbing and the floodgates open and stuff that I said to my dad on an energetic level. Of course, I'm saying this by myself on my balcony in the moonlight, you know, on my little meditation cushion with my headphones on. This is all about energy. And this is about shifting energy within myself, not changing him, not trying to control the outside world, but changing me, how I perceive it, how I interact with it. And I broke down and I said to my dad, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hold you responsible for so many of my problems. Oh my God. I feel like crying again. I was like, I meant it because I had to find the thing that I could say truthfully. And I said, I'm sorry. I hold you as like the villain of my life. I'm sorry that I struggle so much to forgive you for being a person, like a human being. I forgive you. And then I move on to the, I forgive you. I forgive you for being a person. I forgive you for being a a man who grew from like being a really traumatized child in a war-torn country with parents who like knew less than what you and my mom knew. Like, forgiving him for that, like, and meaning it and like feeling it in my heart. When I tell you that I was probably losing 10 pounds of water weight from all the tears I was crying and all the snot that was coming out of my nose, it was, I felt my, my heart get lighter. And that's why I'm so grateful as annoying as it can, as it can be that I'm such a crier. Like I cannot hold my tears back. I've cried on this podcast like 80 billion times because I have to let out my feelings. And that concerns me about my friends, many friends that I know that cannot cry and giving yourself the space to cry. Like, oh my freaking goodness, guys, like let it out. Like I want you to be able to cry, not in like an inappropriate setting, not when it's going to harm you, not when it's going to jeopardize your safety, but I want people to be able to cry because that is like stuff within you that's trying to get the hell out and it needs to go. And so doing this, like, it was just wild, like explaining everything that happened after that moment. Cause that was really, truly the floodgates opening. The dam was being broken. I would just like say this is, I got into a flow state and I had the song on repeat. So it's not like I just, I really only committed to like listening to the song once, which was like three minutes, but I just, I, I was on a roll and I kept going and I addressed all my exes. I addressed crushes that had hurt me. I addressed coworkers that were problematic. Um, the government, like I've, yeah, I've done a good amount of complaining about like politics and like certain individuals that I freaking hate. Um, but even applying that same mentality to like 
organizations, people that I've worked with, people within the Asian American community that I've had a major problem with that I have had a hard time being in the same room as like to even address like all these different layers of me that I've just been holding in. Right. And friends. So that goes back to the original thing of Jane, like to like, again, address this thing to know, cause it came up. And the fact that I still had this, like the reaction that I did, it was evidence to me that it still was weighing on my heart that I didn't fully forgive myself or like feel that I had fully resolved it. So it was just stuck coming up and coming up and coming up. And it was really, really powerful. Um, and the 21 day challenge, she succeeded. Um, I did do the 21 day challenge and it actually turned into 45. Like I more than doubled it. I did it for 45 days straight. And when I tell you that my life from the get go, from like the next day started to shift, it's, I can't guarantee that will happen to you, but I can say with a hundred percent certainty from the next day, things started to change. Like in my life, obviously to my face. Um, and within 36 hours, I got a text from my mom. Weird. This is where I like, I can't, I cannot, you know, come up with quantifiable evidence saying like, this is why this happened. But my dad and I had been on radio silence. We were both super like just stonewalling each other in our stubborn corners. And less than two days later, my mom texts me out of the blue saying like, your dad's speaking really like sweetly about you all of a sudden. I hope you can forgive him. Like, I know he's a difficult man, but like stuff like that. And then other stuff, like things that like I've been toiling over and stressed out about are suddenly like resolving. And I also think the bigger component that I think is really important to mention, besides the fact that I was like addressing different people and doing my best to energetically like heal the energy between us, at least from my end, as much as I could, because it wasn't just with other people. I think the main component that really was, I think, as critical and crucial to all of this change, like really happening in a authentic, genuine, like lasting way was that every day that I did this, I was following my instinct. I was in my flow state is that I did this prayer and I said it to myself at the end of every like long list of people, the government, all the organizations to haul. I, I did the whole Ponopono to like Hollywood. I was like, I'm sorry. I think you guys are all just like a big dumpster fire of bruised egos and like bullshit. Like I said, I went there. Like I wanted to just be honest and say what was really on my heart. And then when I hear it, when I'm like saying these things, I would like hear how judgy I was and how ridiculous some of the things were. And some of them gave me like a laugh and some of them broke my heart because I really did apologize and seek forgiveness and, and say, I love you and have gratitude for people that I really was not expecting to like apply that to. So it's really eye opening. And every day, like I said, I did it to myself. And I think that was like the thing that sealed the deal because, oh my God, when I was saying, I'm sorry to myself, like I, I've mentioned in, on this podcast before that I've done like the mirror work and I've sung, sung like love songs to myself. Those things were, it was like uh, chipping away at all these like guardedness and all these like protective barriers I put between myself and being vulnerable. And I, because I think I, I think I'm, I know I'm a smart person. I would like intellectualize everything. And I would like have this belief, this narrative in my head that I cannot go easy on myself. Like if I go easy on myself, I'm just going to become a horrible person. 
without thinking of the other possibility that maybe I am a good person and maybe like the bad behaviors are a result of all this trauma and these unresolved things. That's actually the issue. Not that my core being is bad and that I need to regulate it by being really freaking mean to myself and criticizing myself and judging myself and assessing myself and never giving myself a break because that's like what's required in order for me to stay a decent person. And I swear to God, I think that's like what it came down to. And that's based in like a lot of traumatized wounds from like, honestly, like I got hit, like I was hit within my family. I was told in so many different ways, how ugly I was, how undesirable I was, how fat and worthless I was from family members since I was a very young child. On top of that, spent five years with a, like a true, I, I don't know if it's like me clinically correct for me to be like, it's a sociopath, but like my ex-boyfriend was truly to say he damaged me is like such an understatement to be on the receiving end of verbal, emotional, psychological, financial, sexual abuse every day for five years. Like that leaves a mark on a person. And I kept thinking I just got to outsmart it and outperform it and just keep staying strong and resilient and getting all this evidence outside of me, which was also very fulfilling, mind you. It's also my life calling to like work in entertainment, to work with artists, to be part of collaboration, to be a champion for diversity. All these things are like inherently meaningful to me. I wasn't doing it just to like get an ego boost, but I also think I depended on it so much. I needed those things to hold me up because I had nothing else. I didn't have a true sense of self-worth. I didn't have a lot of self-love because if it came to it, I would just default go into critical mode. I would just be such a dick to myself. And I basically reinforce these narratives that I had in my head that if I wasn't skinny, that I'm not beautiful or desirable. If I, whatever, like no matter what, like these things and these parts of my personality are just inherently unlovable. They're so unattractive. There's no guy on this planet that would be able to tolerate all of this. Like genuinely, that's a core belief that I've realized in my late thirties that I think deep down, I tried so hard to contort myself to what a guy wanted to at my expense. Like I would just try to accommodate and not bring up stuff that bothered me about them. And I'd be in these like very toxic situations because deep down, I didn't believe that somebody could actually really love me. Like truly, if they actually know me, they'll like run for the hills. Like there's just no way. There's absolutely no way. This is down to even like Christmas this of 2022. I had a watershed moment with my family, um, admitting it out loud. I was like, who would want this? Like if they knew what a crazy person I am, if they had to be exposed to my temper on any sort of regular basis, which some of my exes have, and I feel genuine like, I feel so, had so much guilt and shame about that. Like who would want to marry that? Why would they like, why would they stick around? It would make complete sense for them to run for the freaking hills. I would, if I was them. And like saying that, like saying that to my brother and to my mom was like, like, ooh, it was a lot. And, um, they were actually kind of speechless when I admitted these things. Um, so there was, there was a lot. And so it's been an ongoing journey, but in the process of doing the prayer to myself, I started out very gently and it was just very like, Minji, I'm sorry. I don't honor you enough. I'm sorry that I make everybody else's feelings and their preferences matter than you. I'm sorry that I put you in unsafe places or situations or around people that you feel responsible for their, you know, feelings and their happiness and their well being way more than I 
care about yours. And I'm, that's just, again, another 10 pounds of, of tears <laughs> lost, you know, water weight. Um, and to mean that, to not only say it, but mean it and like direct that kind of love and just like forgive and saying like, I forgive you for being a human being that has a temper that has an obnoxiously loud opinionated voice at times. I forgive you for being petty. I forgive you for being stubborn. I forgive you for being just a person. Like, I'm sorry. I forgive you for all that. I forgive you for being a multifaceted human being that isn't happy-go-lucky, super perfect, always forgiving, always kind, always knowing what to say at the right time, always knowing how to like pick up after everybody at every moment. Just, I forgive you for not being perfect. And giving myself that breath of like relief and doing that every day for the days that I did it. Again, I, that's why I say, I think it really sealed the deal. And this has already gone on for quite a long time. And, you know, if there's anybody, I, I hope to do another part to this and answer more questions, but it has changed my life. It has a hundred percent changed my life because giving that love to myself, not to like necessarily tell myself I'm perfect. It was actually the exact opposite. It was giving me space to be imperfect. It was giving me space to be loved while being an imperfect human being for, and then, then from that place, I could actually face being imperfect. And then I could then recognize and be easier on others. And I could also just forgive myself. And it was just a good spiral, like an upward spiral, I'd say. Um, that's a cycle that I can get behind because it was letting us all have grace for everything. And I've been doing that work and I've reached those conclusions from other healing processes. Um, and I think I'm always getting, I've already come to the point where like, I understand I'm going to be doing this probably for the rest of my life because I'm a human. I'm going to keep encountering different scenarios where like my ego gets a little cray cray, where I lose my cool, where I'm just tired and I don't say or do the right thing. I'm going to make, make mistakes. But now that I have this way, at least another thing that I have experienced so much relief from having that in my like arsenal, my toolkit is so crazy. It's like really been really profound. And that's what, how I like now look at all these things to have a toolkit where you can go and listen to yourself and figure out what do I need right now? And then having the love for yourself to go into the toolkit and use the tool that is so huge. And I used to think my previous self was like, oh, I got to do this to like be fixed. I got to go get therapy. Therapy, I think comes in so many different forms. Laughing is therapy. I watch a lot of like, like comedy. I don't watch a lot of the shows that are popular with other people. Cause genuinely for me, it's too like, it sounds very like snooty, but like, it's very low vibe and I'm already in my head and that might be, it's just too much low vibe. I think it's fine for people to get dark and to you know, explore that part of their psyche and to revel in it for a bit to kind of like, let them be mad and like, whatever that's part of being a person, but I can't stay there that long because I'm already on occasion dealing with like a lot of darkness in my head from time to time. So I go for like the comfort shows and the food, the comedies, the watch bridesmaids for the 80th time or watch the office, keep it on repeat in the background, just like as a security blanket. Cause it like keeps my, my mood up. Um, you know, all these different things. That's a therapy. Talking to your friends is therapy. Eating a good meal, cooking a good meal, eating, that's a different type of therapy. There's so many things that you can do 
And I think the fact that we're all doing the best that we can to assemble our toolkit and then have the wherewithal and the love for ourselves and the discipline at times and like just the courage to like face the ugly stuff to know like, okay, this is going to suck. Like I'm fully aware that doing all these things, I'm going to encounter the bad feelings because when I'm asking for forgiveness, that's a direct acknowledgement of like, this is how I have been less than this is how I have been not the person that I want to be all the time. And that sucks. And because I've now experienced the other side of that as well, I have more willingness to go there. It's a muscle that I'm building and it's a willingness that I'm building. Not every day when I'm PMSing y'all like again, strategy, I give myself a bit of a break. Like, like, okay, just eat your chocolate and get a fluffy blanket. And that's enough. Like I take it easier on myself. And then again, she's a determined queen. She gets back on the bandwagon when I'm like, okay, the hormones have subsided. I think I can be in the right mindset. It's all strategy. It's all in the toolkit. So that's what I wanted to share with everybody. It's a story about how I was a shitty friend. And there are so many other moments that I could share where I've like really messed up and that I carried honestly for so long. Um, but they're all lessons, you know what I'm saying? And to go back to the first thing, you know, time maybe does, I might be wrong. My ego tells me, my, my hopefully better managed ego tells me, I could very well be wrong about that. I think there's a lot of um, efficiency in and benefit to addressing wounds sooner rather than later. So, because again, it costs you something to not, you're, you're losing out on time and joy and peace of mind and clarity and just contentment. Like, I feel like I'm actually the most ready to be as successful as I actually dreamed, which is kind of scary. And there's a lot of really good things happening in my life. It's, I swear, it's like all happening in this like rapid movement. Once you get your needs met, like you don't need them anymore. You know, once you heal some, some wounds, like you don't have to keep healing them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, how awesome is that? There may be another thing that hurts and like, yeah, and you have to address that, but at least you've resolved like a buttload of other stuff that like doesn't have to weigh on you anymore. Even if it's not on your mind, it's not on your spirit and it's not on your heart and it's not on your soul. And I I share this with like all the love in my heart. That's what I think our world needs. We don't need another like money-making thing. Like I genuinely, I believe in abundance and we're also smart and like capable. We can make all the money and when it flows, when we're not hoarding it and like being in a place of fear and scarcity, which comes from like, I've had financial like money wounds for like all of my 20, up until I was like 30 something, I've just had a fierce fear of being poor and broke. And that messed up the way that I lived and budgeted or did not budget or, you know, like all the habits came out of that wound of like having given all my money away to my ex and like just believing I'm really bad at managing money. I was really good at making it, but really bad at managing it. If you can't manage it, there's no point in like making it. You just like piss it all away. So stuff like that. Like I'm saying this because if we get to the core of like the feelings and we like sit in the discomfort, we feel the feelings there's so much more other things that also deserve our attention besides having the joy, the peace, the clarity. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Like all hands on deck. The world is cray cray right now. There are people that are actively making it worse with no conscience, no issue. 
with like just I don't want to call it evil. It's just like ultimate selfishness and disregard and ignorance. And like, there's so, especially in the United States, I know there's international listeners, but y'all, we are a global community and like America needs help. We are depressed. We are anxious. We are getting broke because everything costs so freaking much. And then trying to make a dime that doesn't go as far as it used to having that continuously go up. The rate may have slowed, but like life is expensive And on top of that, there's all these like existential things like climate change, like AI, like all these other things that feel and perhaps are to a large degree should be a concern. No, I hate that word should. We need to do our best to like stay afloat. I don't want us to just stay afloat. I want us all to thrive because the more that we stay in this place of stagnation and we're diminishing our spirits or just don't have the the strength to like go on another day, that shit is like that energy and that interaction, just think of how many people you interact with on a day. And when you're having a bad day, how quickly that can ripple effect. We are in a ecosystem of one another. We are not islands to quote from about a boy, excellent movie. Um, so that's my contribution to the world. If that's something that y'all can like, hopefully, however you can take that into your heart to like, be good to yourself. I say that at the end of all these podcast episodes, I freaking mean it. And it's not, it's because I love you. And it's also because I love me and because I want to live in a world that I don't feel doomed to be in all the time. It goes both ways. And we all benefit from people being healed. We don't have to be worried about going into public spaces because of the next unhinged person, right? Like we don't have to endure like awful creatures on the internet just thinking that they can go willy-nilly like harming other people because they're unhappy and terrible on the inside and i'm an actor and i'm a creative and i I think i've probably announced something at at, by this point of like a big project that i'm in it's scary like it's scary to think that somebody just doesn't like something and then like literally attacks you and i've dealt with that in my life the fact that that's something i have to like expect or like live it's just wild, but like, that's what I'm doing healing work so that I can know that I have my own back and that I am strong enough to deal with whatever comes. And also in the meantime, this is my, hopefully a contribution to help minimize that. I want you to be happy, like genuinely happy and joyful in a way that serves you, serves humanity. I think that's a great intention. And I'm surrounded by so many other people that also share that intention that, that motivates me. That gives me a lot of reassurance and like encouragement to keep speaking out, even if it sounds like ultra woo woo and ultra cliche, or like people think I'm lame or whatever. Like, I don't care. Like I like myself enough at this point. I love myself enough. I I can protect myself enough. So if you think that I am like a lame Ajima chick, Korean girl in LA, okay. That's, that's what you think. I'm not, and that's what the self-love is helping me be less afraid to speak up and be my genuine self and not have to like hide behind X, Y, or Z to, to try to placate people. I can speak what's on my heart. And it's genuinely been a fear of mine that people just think like they'll roll their eyes at me. There's a lot of evidence that people don't, but still a fear of mine. Anyway, that's all I wanted to share with you. And thank you for listening this far. And I really genuinely hope that something I said today gave you some encouragement, some peace of mind, a light at the end of the tunnel, a technique, something that you can apply and use and put in your toolbox. And to encourage you, 
if something didn't work before, don't, don't knock it. Like don't rule it out. It might've not worked that time. I think our instinct to survive and genuinely coming from a place of love, like how much I think there's so much good in people. And that's what I want to focus my vast majority of my time and energy on. That's what I want to have grow. What you focus on grows and what you've put attention and energy on grows. I have defended my limitations for enough of my life. I have fixated on my flaws for enough of my life. I am now moving into a phase where I do believe anything is possible, that I am capable, that I'm worthy of love, that I am okay, that I'm safe, um, and that I have good people around me and that things will work out and that I'm smart enough and I'm have a good work ethic. And if I lose my job to AI, then like, so be it. Like I'll figure out a way to be a farmer. Even though I'm like, I'm not very good with plants, but I'll figure it out. I don't know. Um, you know, anything's possible. <laughs> so hope that it all helps and just know that I love you and keep going one day at a time, one moment at a time, five minutes at a time, whatever, whatever you have to do, you can do it. And once you're good within yourself, take care of other people. Like for real, the people, even just in your immediate circle, your Jane, find your friend, even if it's been a long time and it'd be mad awkward to like apologize after all this awkward ass time where like, it's just been silence because you didn't know how to like say what you needed to say, say it. Like you will regret so much more that you didn't say it and good things too. tell people you love them. Like respect boundaries. Like also (laughs) another podcast episode. We also need to be like careful, like how we assert those things. Cause sometimes people aren't ready to hear everything. But find a way with thought and care and respect to say what and do what you need to do to heal. Okay? That's all. I love you. Um, and thank you to Marvin and Tom, my producers. Thank you to Juliana, my social media manager. Thank you to everybody supporting. This is weird. I'm like also on video right now. I don't think I've ever done an intro, outro on video. Um, but yeah, it's wonderful to be supported. It's weird to be on YouTube now and have my face out there. But my voice is out there quite a bit, so you guys can hear it. Check out my Instagram if you want to know what I'm talking about. You'll see. Um, And I'm excited for future opportunities. If you want to hit me up on on email, via email, first of all, pod at gmail.com. Check the description for all social media stuff. And yeah, you take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Pay my dues now. This is the pride of a man. Uh, Stepping the ground, I'm counting my blessings, aggressively pushing the boundaries off of my family. Family. Into this land. land. A dream in my hand. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Potion by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.